Welcome everyone to the Ginger and Juice Podcast. This is Sean Whitaker, your host, alongside Jay Garrett. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How about you, man? Doing all right. It's been a while. Uh, able to get this episode uh, to you. Uh, a lot's gone on since the last episode that we did dealing with millennials, and uh, I want to apologize for the quality. Something went weird with the recording, and I don't know why it was so soft, but I want to apologize for that, but... We've made a couple investments, and this should be a little bit of a better quality show from here on out, but uh, without further ado, I'll throw it over to Jared so he can introduce what we're kind of going to be talking about this episode. So today, like many of you probably know, the big news around the nation is the whole Charlottesville uh, stuff that we have unfortunately had to deal with in this country so far. Um, As many of you know, on Saturday, um, uh, monuments at the University of Virginia were taken down, and in protest of that, the alt-right, along with KKK and white separatist movements, uh, came to the University of Virginia campus in Charlottesville, Virginia, to protest the taking down of the uh, monuments. Also, there were counter-protesters, uh, Black Lives Matters, and people who were um, protesting the white supremacist or the white nationalist uh, platform. Um, in that chaos, uh, one person was killed. Uh, by a white nationalist who ran his car into her and a crowd of, I think, up to 30 people. Um, So it it was pretty serious. Um, After that, that day, uh, President Trump decided that he wasn't going to come out and disavow white supremacy and didn't give a structured statement saying that he was against white supremacy. He waited until Monday, two days after the fact. He came out on Monday, said, basically, white supremacists are bad. But he still did it with a little bit of uh, hesitation in his voice. Well, then, in true Trump fashion, he comes back Tuesday through another press conference and basically doubles down on his point he had on Saturday was that there are some good people. There are some good KKK members. Um, So he's basically put the nation in turmoil. And where do we go from here? You know, I guess the place we got to start is. What do you think Trump should do or should have done um, the instance this happened? And kind of where do we go from here as a country, more or less? I guess that's the question I pose to you, Sean, and I pose to our listeners. Where do we go from here? Well, there's so much to unpackage in all of that and everything that happened. And I think one thing that kind of gets lost in translation that a lot of people don't realize happened in Charlottesville is that um, the local government has a sovereignty to be able to make decisions like this on right. these monuments, on these statues, on whatever they deem necessary, whether it's the name of a bridge or, or whatever. But um, that community, mm-hmm. their representatives decided together that they were going to take this down. Right. And they're totally in the right to be able to do that. Right. And a lot of people just kind of gloss over that. They kind of gloss over the fact that local governments have sovereignty to make those types of decisions, whether it's in Charlottesville, whether it's in Lexington, whether it's in Cynthiana, whether it's no matter what, they have the ability to do that. And, you know, that's ultimately their job is to represent the people. But a big issue that I have with this, uh, specifically in regards to what Trump has said, is is this. Trump has multitudes of people around him that this isn't their first rodeo in the political sphere. 
right. they, they know communications, they mm. know everything. And what, what basically, to illustrate what basically happened when he came out and did not firmly denounce white nationalists, is what happened was Trump did this. Trump came and he saw a little bonfire going on. And he had a water hose in one hand and he had a gas jug in the other. And he looked at it, turned, looked, looked back, looked at the water hose, looked at the gas can, and poured gas on it. Yeah. <laughs> then he walked away from it, yeah. came back, and now that bonfire had turned into a forest fire. At that point is when he decided, I better put some water on this now. Right. Well, it's Monday. too little too late now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just completely pointless. And then obviously he came back the third time and doubled down with his first statement. So I, I really don't know. And it's just a predicament that Trump is in because Trump, those people go vote and Trump needs those votes. Right. So he's, it, it's from a political perspective of getting votes, you know, he doesn't want to lose votes, but still there is, there is a right and a wrong in this. And right. it is fairly blatant. Not not fairly. It's perfectly blatant. Anybody who is in any sort of KKK, white supremacist, anything like that, you are not a good person. Right. Do you think, let me throw this question to you and to you, our listeners, is there such thing as a good Nazi or a good white nationalist or a good KKK member? Absolutely not, because in no form of the word white supremacist, white nationalist or Nazi, is there a person who is saying I'm doing something for the good of humankind? Uh, the whole idea of racism is formed in power and power is formed in oppression. So the whole theory or theology that I think that the KKK, the Nazis or the white nationalists present is that I want to have power over every other type of people. And the crazy part is, is in 2017, you have these supporters, these white nationalists, these white supremacist supporters coming to places like Charlottesville to protest, taking down the monuments of people that fought to keep people enslaved. And anyone who wants to bring up this notion of the Civil War was about states rights. It was about this. It was about this. Look, shut up, man. Hey, look, at the end of the day, the Civil War was fought over slavery it well, was fought for the bondage of, to, to stop the bondage of people to, or to allow the bondage of people yes you know? i completely agree you can argue states rights all you want right but you're arguing for the state's right to decide <laughs> that it's okay to hold someone in in, in bondage. bondage right yeah yeah like so <laughs> I, you're you're by by changing the word slavery to states' rights, you don't change anything, right? Yeah, you don't. And if you and if you think it was the federal government exercising too much power in ultimately then going to war with that, right? Then like I really to me that's the that was that's the purpose of the federal government. Then when you've got Absolutely. people that think and I understand that even after the war that there were still slaves in the north, but. I, again, we're, we're we're tit for tat, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. It's a moot point. I mean, and I think my biggest thing is people who want to argue that point. You want to argue that point to validate your feelings of romanticizing the Confederacy. And Sean, to, in my opinion, that's the biggest problem that I think we've had or I've seen. I've always realized it, but this last couple of days, I think it's become magnified. 
in this country, we have a problem with white supremacy. And white supremacy, not De- as... Define that for me. And, and, and when, I say, when we say white supremacy in this country, we automatically think about KKK, Nazis, or whatever that might be. But white supremacy is much more of an ideology. In our country, everything is based off white supremacy. So, for instance, when white, when white people first came to the United States of America, or America, North and South America, they came, they killed all the native people that were on the land, then they bought enslaved people from Africa, and then they promoted one dominant religion. That's supremacy. You know what I'm talking about? White culture has been supreme, and it's been supreme ever since this nation has been founded. So when people hear, hear white supremacy, they automatically give a negative uh, connotation. But in actuality, that's just the nature of being an American is America is dominated by white supremacy. And when, whenever white supremacy has been challenged in this country, it's always met with violent, violent outbursts. We talked about it earlier today. You look at incidents of uh, African-Americans or any other minority group in this country saying, hey, give me my right. Treat me like a human being. They're always met with this wild rhetoric that white supremacists bring to the table as and it, whether it be, you know, MLK was a was a communist, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, who, whoever it might be. They're always met with this 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 mantra that white supremacy isn't really that bad. It's just the way. And that's the problem I think we have is that. In this country, white supremacy rules everything around us. And until we identify and, and fight that problem, we're going to continue to have issues. When white people won't admit that we do live in a white supremacist nation. You know what I'm talking about? So it's tough, man. You know? Yes. And I, I compare it a little bit to like Kentucky fans. We're yeah. both Kentucky basketball fans. In general, the fans of Kentucky are reasonable. Yeah. Okay. But what happens is there's a little segment that via Twitter, via whatever forms, you know, they take, they can give a very negative light. And due to the day and age that we're in, they're so visible that many can attribute that. And I think that happens a lot with white supremacy. Mm -hmm. What's happened is you've had the KKK, the neo-Nazis, these other groups latch on to this idea of white supremacy. And through the depiction of the media you get a very negative view, which is warranted right. in, in, in many right. situations. I'm not trying to just justify that, but I, I agree with what you're saying, that the country was very much set up by white men, the culture of white men. Right. It just was. Uh, but the interesting thing, and I'm going to have this um, attached to the podcast link, Uh, That way people can look at this. Uh, An interesting thing is this graph that I saw. It's called a Who's Heritage Timeline of 150 Years of Iconography of the Confederacy. And what you see is very few of these statues were erected either during, well, you wouldn't necessarily think it would be during, but fairly soon after the Confederate or the Civil War. Right. Very few. If you look at this graph, you see one, two, three, um, about five huge spikes. And this encompasses schools with names of people attributed to the Confederacy, monuments, and other sites uh, 
that's excluding like monuments and stuff like that. But um, if you look at the spikes in the years in which there was more iconography and you look at what was going on in the historical timeline of this country, what you see is you see a spike in 1866, which was the formation of the Ku Klux Klan. So right after the Civil War. Yes. And you see uh, a spike in uh, right during and after Plessy versus Ferguson. Right. In 1909, when the NAAC is founded, that is where it is triple the amount of iconography that was commissioned in that time than anywhere else. The other areas would be the Tulsa Tulsa race riots in 1921, the Detroit race riots in 1943, as well as the um, Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So basically what's that showing, in my mind, you tell me if I'm wrong, is any time people of color made a step forward, that was then it was met, a, right. met with <laughs> you need to know your place. Right. And I'll build another I'll build another statue to Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis to remind you that you're still uh, exactly like you said, to remind you of your place. You know what I'm talking about? That the South really isn't that far behind. And to me, that's the craziest thing in that Shana, I think another important thing that we have to point out, too, when we talk about the commission and the building of these statues is that they, they weren't just built in the South. They were built all over this country. You exactly. know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So, like, it, you know, Detroit, you know, uh, you know, some different places that have. I mean, it's crazy in Baltimore, even though Maryland was a slave state. You know, you have, But, yeah, I read something on um, that there was a uh, Confederate. Uh, statue in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn, New York, of all places, had a Confederate statue built. <laughs> it is wild, man, to I, think you know that places that weren't even that we don't think of as having Southern ties, or for, for whatever reason, were giving credence to these Confederate generals and really romanticizing them. You know, so I'll give you an example from my hometown, man. My hometown has a bridge named after General John Hunt Morgan. Okay, mm-hmm. he was a Confederate uh, general. He set the town on fire and burned it to the ground twice, okay? This guy wasn't a good general. He was an awful human being, okay? The interesting thing is, is that a Union general came down, and at the time, in little Cynthiana, Kentucky, which is central Kentucky, about 45 minutes away from Lexington North, um, the Union general came down, and at the time, Cynthiana had around 300 free slaves in in the, area. In, in the right. area there. Those slaves joined the North and defeated the Confederate general, and somehow we got a bridge named after that <laughs> Confederate yeah. general huh? in Cynthiana, Kentucky. Right. Well, see, and I think that ties into the part when we start talking about uh, white privilege. You know what I'm talking about? Like, in this country... I mean, and to, to think that in this country, a group of individuals went against the nation, uh, fought the nation, killed other Americans in the name of con- the Confederate. They lost. They were defeated. The nation healed. But then slowly but surely, we start getting this romanticized version of the Confederacy. You know, the, the, the craziest thing I've been hearing is that Robert E. Lee and, you know, if you read about Robert E. Lee, I, I really, I mean, I guess for a man of his time, he was whatever he was, whatever you want to call it. But to act like Robert E. Lee didn't fight for the oppression and enslavement of a group of people 
It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's kind of the history that we're kind of getting right now. And that go plays into that white privilege aspect that for white people, it's okay to romanticize Jefferson Davis or Robert E. Lee, but say anybody who supports Black Lives Matter is racist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. it's convenient. You have that convenience in this country to, to do that. And I think that's really the the dis, disheartening part is that people don't know, you know. I mean Robert E. Lee was given the choice. Right. He was given he was yeah. given the choice and he chose the South. That, right. that that's that's what happened and something you mentioned there that I would like to go into is the whole notion of white privilege Th- that's a word that a lot of people hear and that a lot of people kind of twitch a right. little bit and get really upset now I would just like to say a lot of pe- a lot of white people think white privilege is something that goes at and jabs at the fact that white people maybe haven't had like Struggles, tribulations, right. or negate, that ne- negates that. the work ethic or anything like that. And I think what's important to uh, realize about re- white privilege is that it's it's not the presence of something that is afforded to white people that is extra. What it is, it's the absence mm-hmm. of certain things that white people, for whatever reason, throughout our life, never bat an eye about. We never think about, we never, in general, most places white people go in this country, we don't have to worry about some sort of systemic prejudice or anything like that that could manifest itself based on the color of our skin. Right. That's white privilege. Right. And and, and it, 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 like you're just saying, based off, there's places you don't have to worry about going because you're okay. A perfect example is my mom. My mom, she was, uh, it's for her job. She was going to a place out in uh, Eastern Kentucky and she went to a restaurant. And in the course of the restaurant, she was the only uh, black person in the restaurant. She goes to the restaurant and while she's in line ordering her food, a white man comes up to her and asks her, they don't have your type of food, do they? And my mom was kind of, you know, befuddled a little bit. And she said, you know, what do you mean? He said, yeah, they don't have chitlins and collard greens, do they? No, maybe he was just being serious. He thought all black people, all we ate all the time was chitlins and collard greens. Or he was just being racist. But for him, he or had both. the... Uh, or both. But he had the audacity to come to somebody he didn't know and basically just classify her in the way he thought all black people ate. And so for me, there's certain places in this state that when I go... I'm a little apprehensive. One time, me and you, we did a, took a road trip, and somehow we got turned around and got put on a back road. And as soon as we go on this back road, there was Confederate fl- Confederate flags hanging up in like every single window. So if something happened to that car, like it would have been really tough for for me to knock on one of these people's door and say, "Hey, man, do you have a gas can?" And that type of fear or that type of like issue. It's always in the back of my head. I always have to think about where am I at and am I welcome? In a state that I grew up in, was born in, my parents were born in, there's places in this state that I don't feel welcome. And somebody may say, well, I don't feel safe in the West End of Lexington. But you can go to the West End of Lexington or the East. You know what I'm talking about? For me, there's certain places I probably truly can't go without really worrying about my life, you know? See, 
And I completely agree with that. A lot of people will try and make that argument and say, well, if white people go to certain areas, they're, listen, with my job, I got to go to some of the worst areas in Lexington. Where I get my hair cut is not a good area in Lexington. I'm the only dude that looks like me in there, but I'm not systemically oppressed in right. there. I still get my hair cut. They're not saying... No, but nobody no. looks at me and, and says something to me like, oh, you, you can't get this type of fade. Can't, or, right. Nobody right. makes a comment, a jab, or anything right. like that to me. I'm I, I'm serving... Whether, whether I'm going to get my hair cut or going to get something to eat or something, I get the service that anybody else would get in there. And oftentimes, you know, with my job, we you've recently moved on, but you've had to do what I had to do. And... You know, we go into places with nothing more than a manila folder, a piece of paper, and a pen. Right, yeah. And so long as you treat people decently... You pretty much get the same respect back. Yeah, you get that back. So, like, and I've told you before, you know, a lot of people have this idea about, you know, like, historically black um, fraternities. I was almost a Q. Right. So, don't tell me there's exclusive right. or something like that. Well, they were perfectly open to me joining a historically black fraternity. Well, there were just, no issues. It's the same argument you'll hear, especially during these times. What about HBCUs? Isn't that racist? And I, I went to the HBCU. And my thing is, there was a time in the state of Kentucky or throughout the South or throughout the nation that a black person couldn't go to the same school as a white person. So what did black people do? We had to figure it out. And so we created our own universities to educate our own people. So they're still in existence today because there was a time where they were out of necessity. But someone trying to argue that, well, what about a black? I mean, I went that it's one fraternity in specifically that I know that has numerous white members in a historically black fraternity. Mm-hmm. I've seen it with my own eyes. So like that argument is dead to me because that doesn't make sense. Now there's some, you know, PWI fraternities that, you, I don't know if they've ever had a, a, a member who's a minority ever, you know, so you could argue who's really racist. You get my point? Exactly. So, But what you just said is kind of what we're going to end this podcast on when you said that is when you said, what about you said those three words? What about? And that's what I'm seeing a lot now following this incident here with Charlotte, following what Trump said. I'm getting a lot of what abouts and what a right. lot of people are wanting to do. They're wanting to develop these some sort of these equivalencies mm-hmm. of Black Lives Matter and neo-Nazis or Robert E. Lee versus Martin Luther Martin King, Luther King right. Jr. Right. And, and, and the bottom line is these things don't get anywhere because the very uh, nature of an equivalency is you attempting to like make something okay or draw a line of similarity making it equal to make it equal right and th- th- these things simply aren't equal on any gr- like the fact that anyone I'm seeing this meme go around Facebook I'm sure you've probably seen it it has a picture of Martin Luther King and it says um, Martin Luther King opposed gay marriage should we now take down his statues in reference in comparison to Robert E. Lee you're comparing a civil rights activist that fought to free the free his people from bondage to a dude who committed the ultimate act of treason, joined the headed the Confederacy, and fought for the sole purpose of maintaining the ability to own a person as a slave for monetary gain. Right. Those two things are not on equal moral playing right. ground. Right. They just aren't. And the fact that people are trying to make it as so 
is very disheartening. It is. But again, we can tie that back to the centralized point of this country is found off white supremacy. And whenever you have a supreme anything, that supreme power must always be respected by those, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't help or do anything for them. Because in the ideology of supremacy is that, well, yeah, it's been really bad for you. It's been, it sucks for you, but at least it's not as bad as it used to be. So even though this, this supremacy has, it enslaved you, it robbed you, it took everything from you, and you're still suffering from the repercussions of that. But hey, you know what? At least you're not still a slave. That's an argument I see so much. It's so disheartening that people will have the argument to really say, well, at least you're not still a slave. Or my favorite argument is no one here owned slaves or no one here was a slave. And uh, when we count back, you know, five, six generations, they did. So, like, exactly. you know, I mean, you, like, had, you had African, it's crazy. You had African-Americans that served in the Vietnam War that mm-hmm. came home and had white only yeah. written on stuff. I mean, not only Vietnam, the Korean War, World War Two, every one, every war this country's fault. There's been a person of color who has went and given their life for this country just to be in at today. There's men and women of color in Iraq and Afghanistan all over serving to protect this nation. But their president. The person who is their commander in chief refuses to say that there are that he he refuses to denounce white supremacy. So how does that make them feel when they're out fighting, laying down their lives, giving their all? But people back home still say, well, you know what? At least you're not still slaves. Or what about Black Lives Matter? You know, so at what point in this country is it okay for a person of color um, and especially a, a black male to say, hey, man, I just want equal treatment. At what point is that okay? At what point can people just say you deserve that without the ifs and the buts? I would argue it's still not okay because whether whether it's the extremist of the Black Lives Matter movement that you know shot and killed the five cops in Detroit or the riot in Baltimore or something, whether it's that or whether it's someone taking a knee for a national, national anthem, anthem, right? There has never been, according to white people in this country, an appropriate time in place for a person of color to protest racial injustice. I mean, it's only through hindsight that we view people like Martin Luther King. Oh, and we... People, people... <laughs> I mean, there was a time... Let me see, yeah, that's what I'd say. I mean, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, no, you're good. but Martin Luther King, I think, is my favorite because people of Martin Luther King's time, people hated him. He was J. Edgar Hoover's most... Hate, I mean, he J. Edgar Hoover had him number one on the watch list as basically a communist. I mean, people hated Martin Luther King. They hated that he was marching in the streets. They hated him. But now all of a sudden we give, we're given this revisionist history of Martin Luther King that's provided that he was this wonderful man who turned the other cheek. He was shot and killed. Then he was just, he's this great person. He was assassinated. But, you know, he did so much good for the black people. He was killed. But, you know, he was so good. And at every turn, it's like, but... He was killed for standing up for what he believed in. How many public statues? Let me ask you know, this question. How many public statues on government grounds do we have of Martin Luther King? I don't know of one. There, there may be some, but I, I'm off the top of my head. Wait, I can't I'm just, name one. Just throwing that out there. I just can't name one. Throwing that out I there. I can't. And you would think as much as we revere him in this country and have a and have a, a holiday form, which Arizona would was actually, I think it was like, was 1990? It was something Arizona basically didn't take or didn't adhere to the Martin Luther King federal holiday 
for a long time because they didn't think it was that important. But I don't I, I don't know. I don't know why or how uh, this 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 rhetoric has become that when black people are either you know on a knee or are in the street saying enough's enough, how this rhetoric came about that this is wrong. You know, I mean, it's, it's disheartening for people because it's like, at what point is it ever going to be fair treatment? And the thing is, what people don't want to go do the work, really, that right. I yeah. have done, is if, if you go and you look, you can easily Google leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, get names, then type those names in, in yeah. the instances of the shooting down in uh, Dallas where the cops were killed, down where the riots are. In virtually every instance, you see these leaders speaking out and condemning that behavior. At every turn. They say, yeah. this is not what At the movement's turn. about. We're sorry that this is happening, but this is not what this movement is about. Call me, tweet me, at Sean Whitaker 87 on Twitter, when a white nationalist or a KKK member or a neo-Nazi comes out and fully condemns the actions that just happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's the difference between the two. two. That's the difference between a group fighting for civil rights still and for fair treatment. Just, fair treatment yeah, and a complete and total hate group. If you label Black Lives Matter as a hate group, you are completely and totally false. In my opinion, in my you're opinion. just completely and totally false. Sure, you're going to have members of certain movements who are extreme, who do things that probably shouldn't be done. You'll see that for every single group of any sort of significance in the history of the world. But does, that does not mean that those few define um, the group itself. But I think what's interesting about the white nationalist deal and those people in the KKK is that yeah, they are few. They're not the majority. They're not. They're not the majority of Republican. I mean, I mean, they're they're a minority. But what I'm seeing and what I've gone on a massive defriend list on my Facebook page <laughs> right. is people who attempt to make either some sort of false equivalency or try to kind of excuse it in one way, and that's what's dangerous. That's because, the most dangerous thing, right there. Because when you add that to the actual movement itself, you yeah. start to get a lot bigger group. Right. And that was when you really start to see, in my opinion, what you were t been talking about this whole time, the whole ideal of white supremacy right. Right. in this country. And to me, that's the most disheartening thing I think I've taken away from the whole Charlottesville um, tragedy is that I realized that there's a lot of people in this country who would identify themselves as good people who aren't racist who aren't bigoted who have friends of color who care about the plight of people of color i've seen too many of those people try to tell me why they excuse certain actions why they believe well you shouldn't take down statues because you're removing history if you care that much about history, go to a library or open a book up. That's have, where it's real history. I have you know? learned nothing in about my statue. Life no, like oh, about history from a statue. statue. So I just haven't. But there's too many of those people, though, Sean, that are consistently all over social media, um, who are telling us, "Hey, you know, it, well, you know, what Trump really didn't mean. Well, you know, what about that Black Lives Matter? Well, you know, just don't take down the statues because it's taking down our history. There's so many of those people who keep telling me what great people they are and they aren't racist. 
But again, when you're talking about the oppression of my people, you're either for my oppression or you're against my oppression. You can't be in the middle. And people in the middle are the problem. You're either for it or you're against it. You can't have it both ways. And silence is siding with the oppressor. Exactly. And 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 figure I think you know figuratively, figuratively, I think the blood is on your hands. If you're not standing up for if you're not standing up for what's right and standing up against oppression, you know, the the people who are suffering, you're part of their suffering. And the, I never forget that. The sad thing is is that you've seen multiple Republicans and Democrats all, mm-hmm. but even in the same party as Trump, come forth and get it right. John Kasich, Marco Rubio, all these people. I have to say, I'm vastly disappointed in our governor who failed I'm to not. do so. <laughs> but I, to, to me, this is not this is not a complex. No. It, it's just not no. a complex. You can issue. make it complex. That's what Trump's doing. At He's all. making it extremely but complex. I would yeah. like to ask you this question, and I would also like to ask our listeners this question. Um, when World War II ended in Nazi Germany, uh, there was an order issued, okay, that destroyed any and all Nazi iconography in that country. Do we still have the history of what? Absolutely. World War we II? know we know all about World War II. We know all about Nazi Germany. If you turn it on any military history channel, they have tons of shows about Hitler. So somewhere, somebody somewhere has all the information. Even though in Germany there's no you know no mm-hmm. idols, no museums. We no still, statues we, of Nazis. You get my, you get right. My point. Yeah, we we we're still, still able to find information out about the Nazis who they were. And that's because what the true history lies in, the true history lies in the struggle, the documented struggles, the documented uh, stories of stuff like the Diary of Anne Frank. Right. It's documented in the history and the stories of Harriet Tubman and Emmett Till and Martin Luther King. And Nat Turner and all these people. We yeah. don't need statues of Confederate generals to remind us of the history and the atrocities that took place during the Civil War era in this country. We just don't. No, no one needs to be reminded of them. Trust me. We all, black people, you know, and white people, I think both. We all know what the Civil War was. We both know how it ended, and we both know the players. Um, so if anything. There needs to be more statues of of Nat Turner's, of Harriet Tubman's, um, of people who fought the woman that died in Charlottesville, Virginia. More statues of people who fought against oppressors rather than people who fought to keep the oppressors in power. And I just feel like until people all over this nation come together and realize that our differences is what makes us American, that your culture is your culture and you have every right to it. The whole idea of assimila- assimilation to one dominant culture is crazy. We all deserve to be different because we're all valued differently. And that value is what makes us unique. You know what I'm talking about? We're all the same Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, but we're very different throughout the day, if that makes sense. We have different experiences. We have different life situations. We talk different languages. We eat different foods. Today, we went to the Mediterranean uh, restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, like... That's cool. You know what I'm saying? And I just think if more people took the time out of their lives to simply just appreciate the culture around you every day, life is so much more enjoyable when you hear people talking different languages, when you see people of different ethnic backgrounds, you know, rather than wanting everybody to be just like you. If I had to be around everybody who's just like me, I would be miserable. If I had to be around people who were just constantly thought like me, ate like me, 
listen to the same music. I mean, it would be a boring world after it's, a while. It's liberating. Know? And, and yeah. I would use the illustration, you know, in my work office, I've got people from different colors, different creeds, different religions, different, it just about, yeah. we, our office has got about as ple- as much of a diverse uh, ethnic background, a diverse racial, uh, background. racial background, a diverse religious background, and yet we all come to work today because we all want to do the same thing. We all want to help kids. Right. So if, if it can work in little old district office in Lexington, it can work worldwide. Right. You just got to put in the effort. You've got to learn that not to look at someone as someone's differences as a negative, but look at it as, as a positive. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm going to get into to wrap this up is the ultimate question to, in this is, what do we do to help this? Mm-hmm. How, how do we affect positive change? And what's your answer to that? I think first and foremost is self-love. We have to start teaching human beings that, that your value isn't based off the money you make, the job you have, where you come from, uh, your sexuality, your height, your weight, whatever it might be. Your value is in you being the best person you can be and teach people to love yourself first. I feel like a lot of people who hate other people hate themselves because if you wake up every day with hate in your heart towards another human being who you don't know, who did nothing to you personally, you must hate yourself because I mean, you no one wakes up. I don't wake up and say, you know what? I hate that person in North Korea and I don't know that person in North Korea. You know what I'm talking about? I'm mm-hmm. just being told what somebody else was telling me to try to get me to be get riled up. So at the end of the day, I have to love myself first, which is really hard for people who their whole lives have constantly been told they're nothing. They're not shit. They're ugly. And after a while, people start to internalize that. And we start to internalize hatred. You start to spew hatred out. You know, there's always the saying, you know, if you, if you if you point a finger at somebody, there's four pointing back at you. That's my view of hate. When you hate somebody it really what it all does is it points back to you and makes you realize that you're really you really hate yourself first and if we start preaching self-love in all forms and in all identities and all walks of lives i think we'll be a little bit better but i think it's going to take a lot to challenge the white supremacy that is that has a grasp on this nation but hopefully people like me and you that come from different backgrounds who met by chance and working the same job if we can sit down and talk about it and we can discuss it and we be open-minded and we're not scared to talk about it, if we can do that, then hopefully people who are listening to this podcast can start that same dialogue with a person who they're not familiar with. Understand, don't you don't have to be offensive about everything or defensive about everything that someone says to you. Listen first. Understand what they're saying. Ask questions. You give your point. You may agree to disagree but at least you've done the first thing that will break barriers down. You've listen. communicated. Yeah. And you listen. Listen. That's the that's the mm-hmm. first barrier to break down uh, uh, the wall of racism, in my opinion. So, what about you? What do you What do you think is something that we could? We I, I could think do? it's an openness. You got to be open to it, and you can't you can't be ready to come back with everything with you know, oh, you're a snowflake, you're too sensitive, right. stuff like that. I mean, that's that doesn't go anywhere. But I think a big thing for me that I think I I, I know a lot of white people who often say, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see that. I, I, I see this. 
that inherently is not advantageous to breaking down barriers. Because to me, the way I've seen this explained that I like is, you know, if I look at you and I say, Jared, I don't see color. What I'm saying is, I'll see you in a way that makes me feel the most comfortable, right. which is not to see your color. But for you, your color is part of who you it's are. It's who I am. It's totally it's, who it's, I am. It's who yeah. you are. So that's a very kind of derogatory thing to kind of say to someone of color is that I don't see color. Instead of saying that, say, I see you. I see all of who you mm-hmm. are, your color, your ethnicity, your religion, whatever, and I value all of you for who you are. That's what starts to break down that barrier. And for me, a big thing, too, is it's just exposure. I went to a high school, and I know plenty of people in decades before me who went to a high school, went to a school system, and I never, ever saw a core curriculum minority teacher in my entire career. And the thing is, a lot of people say what they'll say is, well, that's good for people of color, but what, what's that do for white people? It's just as advantageous for a white person to have that diversity of thought, that diversity of experience, that, that just overall general sense of diversity. Right. Because the more you're exposed to that at an early age, you start breaking down these inherent things right. that are instilled in us. Right. You know, a lot of people don't really start challenging these um, just inherent racist attitudes that were kind of programmed into us until college. And right. that's because you get out into the world and you start meeting people that are different. Right. But if you can start introducing that to people in kindergarten, in third grade, in sixth grade, in eighth grade, in tenth grade, in twelfth grade, now... Those those prejudices that were always there, are, they're dissolved. Are bro- they're broken down a they're, little they're bit. They're dissolved. Yeah. I agree. And that goes a very long way. And if that means the school system has to buck up and pay a minority teacher a little bit more and offend some teachers that have been there a little, that have their tenure, so be it. Progress does not come without sacrifice. Right. It just doesn't. Right. And it if we're not willing to do that, whether it's in Kentucky, whether it's in California, whether it's anywhere, then we're not really ready to affect change. Right. And and I think that's what's going to have to happen is people have to be ready to affect change at all times. We have to stop trying to, t- to make everything comfortable with each other. Stop trying to say, well, you know, that makes me uncomfortable, so I don't really want to talk about it talk about it it's the one way you get around barriers the biggest thing that i think has helped me in my life to be more understanding of people is to talk to people who are different and also come from an angle of it's okay for stuff not to be normal to you you know it's okay to be uncomfortable life is a lot better and you learn a lot more when you're around people who are different than you and not and not you know you're not as comfortable you you tend to uh understand more And you're not as afraid to meet another person who is different than you. Mm-hmm. Because one thing you realize at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all want to be loved. We all want to be cared about. And we all looking for acceptance. And those that don't want to accept a person based off the color of their skin, their religion, their sexuality, um, or anything like that. Those people, in my opinion, are the ones who are living amongst us who have no hope and who have no future. Because if your only future 
is a world that won't exist, <laughs> then you're kind of you're living without hope. And hopefully people will nail rally around each other and support each other and in, in, in becoming better people and overall better Americans. So and amen to that, man. But with that being said, we're kind of out of time for this podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. Again, follow us on Twitter at uh, the at Ginger and Juice Podcast. Jared's Twitter account is I don't know it off the top of my head. It's if you look <laughs> it up, it's Jared J A R J A R E D G A R R E T T. My first and last name. If you type that in, you'll find. And the same for me, Sean Whitaker, S-E-A-N-W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R. Give us a follow and uh, we'll follow this up here soon. But and we also we're on Instagram. And we're also on Facebook. Yes. Just type in Ginger and Juice Podcast. But we appreciate you tuning in. And you have a blessed week. I appreciate it.